Well, it's good to know that I will be back, and I thank you for calling me back to be your pastor. Granted, it's on an interim basis, maybe a year or two, or even three. It all depends. But it's great to be back. I do ask you to pray for me as I finish up at the Ocean Reef Club in uh, Key Largo. We'll be there for November and December, which is coming at us very fast. So January the 1st will be here before you know it. And I'm looking forward immensely to working with Robbie and the worship and uh, the rest of the team and you all as well. Well, let's bow our heads and pray together here a moment. Talk to the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for the worship we've just experienced in praise and prayer. Thank you for your word that calls us to follow your example. Thank you for the way your spirit moves amongst us as we gather and sing to you and hear your truth even in the words that we sing. May that happen now as we come to your word. Please, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. Walk amongst us. Encourage us, Lord, by your own presence in our lives. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we are addressing the need of uh, the family. And uh, to talk about an ideal family under the title, Carry On, Just Keep Calm and Carry On. I've uh, just come back from Australia. I'll mention some things about that, but I do thank you for your prayers as I was on a missionary journey to my own family over there. I have two brothers there and their families and their extended families. They really have emigrated there as I have here. So there are a bunch of Aussies over there with the name of Guest. And... In traveling around, it's amazing how many t-shirts you see, and you see them here in the USA, with carry-on, and then whatever. Are you aware that that was a wartime slogan in England? Just keep calm and carry on. I lived through the Second World War, And I see the imaging of that carry on, keep calm, just keep on keeping on. And that was in the face of London being blitzed, bombed. I remember the nights we slept in air raid shelters. I remember seeing the wreckage the next morning of 
whole areas flattened by the bombing. And yet the word was, in a blitzkrieg setting, to keep calm and to carry on. Well, our families are in a blitzkrieg. The whole of the family existence is under siege in our country. So to speak about our being the ideal family, when what we see around us is, as I've described it, a blitzkrieg, an attack on our families. Family being the basic building block of our society. Family being the truth about how we should live together coming out of our Judeo-Christian heritage. Marriage, love, sex, children, family is God's idea. It's not our idea. It's not social evolution. It's not just a social contract. It's not just a convenient way to live so that you can have a wholesome society. It's God's design. When I prepare couples for marriage, I invariably ask them, do you want to have a great marriage? What do you think they say? Yes. Then I ask them the question, just to set it in context, do you want an average marriage? What do you think they say? No way. I say, well, marriage is God's idea. You want to know how to live your lives and have a great marriage? You've got to get into his word. I give all couples I marry a New Testament, a life-focused New Testament, that daily they can read the scriptures together. And I encourage them to do that. I have their names engraved as the Mr. and Mrs. I don't put that there, but their married name on the front of that New Testament. And my encouragement to them, if they want a great marriage, is to do it God's way. Where do you find out about doing it God's way? Even if, as I'm saying this, I encourage you to do that. Daily, my wife and I read the scriptures together. I don't say that to show off. But we read that life-focused New Testament year after year, and it gives you some guidance. You can get it in the bookshop here. I encourage you to do that, and to be together, and read the scriptures together, and with your kids, if you can settle them down for two minutes. You want a family that represents what God meant a family to be? You should be shouting out, yes, we do, we want it, we ache for it, we long for it. Well, there are the means of grace that God has given to us, and the truth behind it all comes right out of his holy word. Turn to page 6 in your service sheet, please, because there you will find the words that were so well read for us by Jim Bridge. And if you see... The words there are really directed to the church as a family. We talk about our church being a family. 
It's life together as we would live it out. But specifically this morning, I want to address the encouraging words here of how we should live together as a husband and wife, as parents and kids. For those of you who are single, it's a heads up on where you may be headed. And in any case, our life together as a family should be represented in the way we are encouraged to live here by the Apostle Paul and God's word to us this morning. Now when I say the family is under siege, let me give you some idea of what I'm talking about. A standard statement concerning our lives together in the USA is that 50% of the kids are growing up in single-parent homes. 50% of the kids in the USA are growing up in single-parent homes. One of the things you see when you hear life talked about in the urban setting is that it's fatherless. I just saw an article with the silhouette of a city and arched across it were the words fatherless. When Pastor Ed Glover gathered the men this fall and had that man up Pittsburgh, and many of you were there, I was there myself, it was to encourage men to be men, to be fathers, and to be fathers to the fatherless, to take on the fatherless. Some kids grow up in a family where there is a father, but the father's gone all the time, or so preoccupied with other things, that it's almost as if they are fatherless. What does that say for the nation we are raising out of the childhood of our families to be the next generation of grown-ups? Pornography is so available. Explicit sex... It's on their iPhones, their iPads. Sexual addictions and perversions and pornography are everywhere present. And that's a particular failing that's attractive to the men. And they get sucked into it. Because the advertising comes up and they go after it. What do you think that says to the kids growing up who have access to that as well? It's absolutely destructive to normal family life. You've got alcohol and drugs. Kids are addicted to their iPhones. I sat with a family, I laughed, I sat at the table and laughed. Three of the kids were on the phone at the table where we're having a meal and occasionally the parents had to go to theirs because somebody was trying to get to them. It's ridiculous. I would encourage you, whether your grandparents or parents, to have none of that at your dinner table or any of those private moments when you're gathered together, when you're driving to church. Texting, looking, it's almost as if that piece of equipment in their hand is an extension of their mind and their personality. 
But what it does is privatizes their life and their communication. That's destructive of family life. So you don't have normal conversation. You're battling it all the time. We've got the civil unions of homosexual couples that they want to call marriage. It's one thing to have a civil union. Maybe even to have the rights that come with married couples. But to call it marriage is an attack on what marriage really is. It's not a denial for homosexuals to go do their homosexual thing. But I see in that movement wanting to rob the normality of what marriage really is. And what's the criticism that the homosexual community offers? If you've got 50% of marriages broken up in divorce, how good is that? What does that look like? I mean, they use that as a criticism and maybe an affirmation of their lifestyle. It's all an attack on marriage and the family. The busyness. Most families have both parents working just to pay the bills. To live according to the lifestyle that they want. See their kids well-dressed and educated. And you add to that all the programming of the children so that you're driving them hither and yon. I know with our daughters, with their grandchildren, our grandchildren, their children, it's a constant drive to one kind of entertainment or activity or another. And all of it is destructive and then you throw into that Sunday morning sports so that the kids if they're going to be in a soccer team or baseball team or whatever it is are almost forced if they're going to be a team player to be at soccer Sunday morning rather than in church and parents are caught in that it's all an attack on the family and if Satan can destroy the family he will destroy our spiritual lives the next generation and the hope of the future that's why there is this constant attack and then the kind of road rage that it generates I just picked up this uh, cartoon it's a couple getting out of their car at their house and the wife is looking over the fence speaking to the neighbor and saying Larry just took me on a scenic drive We saw four idiots, two morons, three jerks, and a knucklehead. Some seen it drive. But the kind of irritation and pressure that there is behind the wheel to be one place or another, all very, very destructive of our lives. So when you come to this text this morning and put it in the context of a family... It goes on to say, if there, look at it, will you please, page 6 in your service sheet. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion. And the implication of that is that in Christ, united to Christ, all these things are a given. When he says, if you have, through your unity with Christ, and he gives you this string of assets, relational assets, and attitudes. The if doesn't mean if, like maybe not. He's saying in a rhetorical way, of course there is comfort and encouragement in Christ. In fact, where it says here, united with Christ, that's this particular translation we're using here, the New International Version of the New Testament, the actual words literally in the Greek are in Christ. In Christ. In Him. All this is a given as a lifestyle for us. If we are in Christ, I'll come back to that. So, encouragement is what he wants to see. Is there any encouragement? Given everything I've just described that is very discouraging, and we get a dose of it daily, every day, whether on television or in newspapers or the music, everything we take in is describing the wreckage of our society. If it bleeds, it leads. If it's glad, the newsmakers, if it's bad, the newsmakers are glad. It's something to talk about. And it's one string of misery. We're avalanched with it. And then we come to church and we sing the songs we've just sung. And they lift us into another sphere, into another world, into another way of living. I experienced that myself this morning. Knowing what I've prepared to be able to sing the songs we've sung and to come to Jesus and to ask him to change our hearts, to make us more like him, is the prayer of our lives. As I've said, there is an aching and our longing for us to be more like him once he gets inside you because he's generating that desire. He's at work by his spirit moving us in the direction he wants us to reshape, remake the lives that we're living and the families that we have. There is encouragement from being united with Christ. Amazingly, I just picked up a letter. I was going through some stuff in my office. The church over these years, while I'd been the minister at large and rector emeritus, has an office here for me. I have an office in the farmhouse. I've got some books there, and Mary Lee, they've given me a secretary two days a week. Very grateful. Thank you very much. And Mary Lee and I go to work from time to time when I'm back here. She goes to work when I'm down in Florida doing a whole variety of things that extend the ministry. So I'm sorting out some stuff in the office, in the farmhouse yesterday, and I came across this letter written in hand by somebody's handwriting, uh, following up a time when, you know, we at Christ Church have had this honoring of our husbands or wives to write a tribute to our parents. 
and whether it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, to take the trouble to actually write down and present to someone in our lives a tribute. Well, that idea has come out of a Family Life radio broadcast with Dennis Rainey. And the place where that broadcast is generated is in Memphis, Tennessee. And Susan Lacornu and Vicky Case, who were part of organizing that here at Christ Church, had done such a job, Dennis Rainey and his wife had asked them to come down and broadcast how that worked. And they asked me to come with them. So I got interviewed on a broadcast there as part of this, and and really an extension of their getting together. And the broadcast interview was asking me questions about my life, about my family. And I shared with them that I came from a home that was a miserable home. That my father had committed suicide when I was just seven years old. That my mother married again and that ended in divorce and it was misery all the way to the divorce court. I can tell you now that in going back over to Australia I find my two brothers over there are both divorced and their children grown. Nearly all of them are divorced, those that got married. One of my brothers is living with a woman who's not his wife. My nephews and nieces are living with people not married. It's prevalent, maybe here in the USA, people who are cohabiting rather than marrying because they see what divorce has done. They've come out of that situation and they just cohabit and have kids and live as if married but not married. No commitment. I have one nephew in England who's married. They have two kids and he's just left the woman he was living with. That's my family. What I'm speaking about here, I know to be real. Not just statistics or headlines in a newspaper. It's my family's background. We came out of a mess. How on earth do you think that Kathy and I, in getting married, have lived a different kind of life than that? How did that change take place? I can tell you, outside of my coming to Christ and being in Christ, my life would have been as screwed up as theirs. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Believe it. Listen to these words. Thank you for the message and the call to Christ that you made when you were a guest on Family Life with Dennis Rainey that aired on December the 12th, 2008. My goodness me. On that morning, as I listened to your story, I was captivated by the message. When you got toward the end and made the call to Christ, I felt like you were speaking to me specifically as I was driving down the highway. 
I felt like I was the only one in the whole country listening to you. I was focusing and hanging on everything you said. Your words hit me and I asked God if that call was for me. I got my answer about 30 seconds later when my wife called saying she had been trying to reach me for 15 minutes to see if I was listening to family life. She'd been praying for him. She knew what his issue was. She never has trouble getting through on the phone. It was like God didn't want any interruptions to distract me from your message. I took that as God's confirmation that he was trying to reach me. I pulled over the car, and with my wife still on the line, I broke down and praised God for the message you gave. And I gave my life to Christ fully. Thank you so very much for that call on that beautiful Friday morning. In celebration of my upcoming birthday and etc. A life changed. Husband and wife now praying together as the husband sobbing and weeping hands over his life to Jesus. And then he took the trouble to write this down and send it to me. And speaking of an anniversary yet a year later, is there any encouragement in Christ? Believe it. In him there is great encouragement. And then it speaks about, look at it with me if you will, if any comfort in his love, from his love. The word for love there is agape. It's not romantic love. It's not erotic love. It's not eros, the Greek word, from which we get the word erotic. It's not romantic love. It's not family love. There is another Greek word for family love. It's not friendship love, like Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's not just that kind of friendship. It's the same word that is used when God so loved the world. It's a sacrificial love. It's a giving love. It's a costly love. It's in the face of pain and anguish. Jesus, in coming to die on the cross for us, loved us and gave himself for us. But it wasn't with just all pleasant feelings. It was agony and sweat and tears and anguish. It cost him. It's costly. And if we're going to love each other as family in this church, or as husbands and wives, it's not just about feeling good. It's about making a decision and committing yourself to love each other as Jesus has loved us. And there's a price to be paid in that. And it is costly. And it does take from us a willful surrender to what God is calling us to. So when we're called to love each other, it's not an idea that works, though it is an idea that works. It's a command to love one another. And if we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, what do you think we should be doing for our husbands and wives? Maybe they're the ones who persecute us, give us a hard time. It can degenerate to that, to be bickering and carrying on with each other and always looking for an edge to cut the other one down. I know how that works. I've been there myself 
and I can get depressed and down and that the Lord would lift me out of it that he might lift others out of it and as we come to this notion that there is comfort in his love this passage actually goes on to speak and it's not in your service sheet there the example of Christ your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped to be hung on to but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness took on the appearance of a man and humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross that's the example of his love it was costly and we're called upon to love each other and in that there is comfort and encouragement and if any fellowship with the Spirit when Christ comes into your life the Spirit of God comes to indwell you and those urgings and those longings that begin to bubble up and surface and the expectation that things could be different and the longing for it and the faith to make the moves to see that it happens isn't just you it's God at work in you is there any fellowship in the spirit the answer is of course obviously yes there is fellowship in the spirit of God when Christ comes into your life he indwells you your body is not your own you've been bought with a price your body becomes the temple of his Holy Spirit that is because he's indwelling you it's not a temple that he's standing outside looking at it becomes his temple because he's dwelling there within you giving you the power to be different it's not just that Jesus becomes the example listen this is so encouraging it's not that Jesus becomes the example and you see what he's done for you as Robbie led us in worship he had us consider how much he has done for us that we might respond with a spirit of worship and gratitude But Christ isn't just an example. He indwells in us and is the inspiration, the power to be different. You're not on your own. It's not like he's cracking the whip and telling you and seeing how you perform. He's in you, urging you, encouraging you and giving you the appetite even to be different. If you and I never expect anything to be different, because that's the temptation comes, that comes to us through Satan. Spiritual wickedness and despair is real. And he comes and tells you, you can't change. Things will never be any different. Your husband won't change. You can't change. Your kids aren't going to change. The way it is, is the way it's going to be. How miserable would that be? If we're trapped in all our wrongdoings and misgivings and the guilt of it all no hope for any change the hope is this that Christ is in us the hope of glory the hope of things being different his spirit at work in us he has a purpose for our lives I'm done with my time here 
But when it says, is there any tenderness and compassion? Oh yes, how God changes our hearts. So that we get tenderized. The Spirit changes things in our disposition. The word compassion there is fellow suffering. And the word for tenderness in the original Greek means like a bowels of mercy, as the old King James. Because it's so stirring on the inside in your gut. Tenderness is such a sweet word, bowels is such a gross word. But it's speaking about God stirring our gut with compassion. I read this little note just yesterday. A woman by the name of Claire Null said it was one of those, the worst days of my life. The washing machine broke down, the telephone kept ringing, my head ached, and the mail carrier brought a bill I had no money to pay. Almost to the breaking point, I lifted my one-year-old into his high chair, leaned my head against the tray, and began to cry. And without a sound, my son took his pacifier out of his mouth and stuck it in mine. (laughs) A little one-year-old. He got the picture. When he was crying upset, mother would stick that pacifier in his mouth and it settled him down. His mommy was crying. So, bang, he sticks it in her mouth. What a picture. He knows what fellow suffering is. He understood. And the Spirit of God, in the same way, ministers to us and then through us. And that helps us build a life together as a family. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus Christ, please come to our aid. As you've given us these words from your holy word, so help us to apply them to our lives. You know our need. Our anguish becomes your burden. We, in a very real sense, are your responsibility. You have died for us. You have pursued us. You have come into our lives and taken hold of us. We are yours. So we say to you, good morning, Lord. This is your day. I am your child. Show me the way. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.